listening to Alison Crogan and Robert Reed today as Carissa Lee is absent. She's pursuing her artistic career and doing an audition, in fact. Oh, she's got an audition? Yeah. Uh, and we're talking about, in the context of the recent budget and the discussion around the proposed funding or not thereof of the arts, our various opinions on how arts should be funded in this country. And I'm going to give Alison the first chance to, uh, well, I don't suppose you respond, what are you doing at the start of a debate? You make your first case. <laughs> Okay, well, let's uh, let's begin I'll get with. I'll in a sec. Let's begin with a little bit of background. Arts funding is a dull, dry topic, and yet, for all of us who are interested in Australian culture, it is absolutely central to how culture is made and produced and distributed, and whether it exists at all mm. in some cases. So it's one of those topics that is obscure. Nobody really understands it except those who take a great deal of notice. Mm. And if if we're interested in Australian culture, we do need to know more about how it works. Mm. So what's been happening over the last few years, ever since the election of Tony Abbott, is a rather long story of vandalism. The arts budget, Rob and I just sat down and did some sums since 2013, the absolute number of projects and individuals that have been funded by the Australia Council has actually decreased by 73%. We worked those figures out by looking at the total number of 2013-2014 figures, which was 1,939 projects and individual artists and organisations funded by the Australia Council, and then multiplied by three, the 176 projects and individuals, etc., funded in the first round of this year, which if you multiply by three, there were three rounds every year of the Australia Council, comes to 528, and that is 27% of the level that was only four years ago. Mm. So that's a massive decrease mm. and a very distressing one. Again, this is a simplification in that the averages of the grants are a bit different, but that's pretty much a picture of the devastation that has happened in cultural funding over the last five years. Which is a continuation of the pattern that has been basically the government's relationship to arts funding, particularly with the OSCO, have had that kind of fraught relationship really since its establishment in the mid-70s and even before. So the establishment of the OSCO was a fairly contentious thing to begin with. It was. Um, it was one of Whitlam's big reforms that he brought through with Medicare and the it, Australia Council. Well, yeah, sort of. So the Australia yeah. Council had already existed before because it was set up by John Gordon because he was interested in film. Um, oh, and was it called the Australia Council? No, it was the Australian Council for the Arts. Ah. Um, but it's basically what Whitlam got hold of and turned into the Australia Council, right. yeah. But it's a demonstration that there are kind of already in the beginning there were competing interests because Gorton really was only interested in funding the film industry mm -hmm. and it was through lobbying that the rest of the arts got kind of tacked onto that and convinced through and then it's Whitlam who turned it into well let's turn this into a real cultural fund yeah yeah and it also demonstrates that often the Liberal Party or the old-fashioned Liberal Party mm. was actually a more enthusiastic funder of the arts yeah than yeah. the Labor Party yeah and that's just a fact. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Liberals consider the arts to be a place of prestige. Mm. Yeah, the, that's... Th this means that they're very, very hot on big capital works, mm. art galleries and that kind of thing. 
and the high end of art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, that's the impetus behind the funding for excellence, right? That notion of the pursuit of international excellence, etc., which is, in my opinion, one of the big problems facing how we support art and culture in this exactly, country anyway. Because yeah. it, it sort of, it allows us to fund for what... To start with, what a handful of people think of it as being excellent and then also justifying it by international context as well rather than a local context, it reduces the amount of people who give a crap about the arts to the point where it's a small kind of fraction of the population, which makes it irrelevant and easy to cut, right? One of the big problems is the idea that art is an elite pursuit. Yeah. And there are lots of reasons why people might think that in that the kind of art that's produced and particularly given a lot of profile is, in fact, elite. I mean, Mm. companies like Australian Opera, who receive by far the most amount of funding of any arts organisation in Australia by by streets, they produce a very expensive art form Mm. and that's attended by people who can afford to go because the tickets, despite Mm. the huge amounts of money that go there, remain very expensive. Now, I'm not anti-opera. In fact, I've written some operas and I don't believe that opera should be cut from our cultural menu, but I do feel that we need to think very hard about what that funding is for. Mm. Why should opera be publicly funded if it is only attended by people with lots of money? Well, yeah, exactly. And because at the moment, and for, I mean, historically for almost all of the performing arts, not just here in Australia, but around the world for all of history, is a, a lot of it is about being able to demonstrate who you are by identifying with the, the kind of art that you go to. So going to the opera is not necessarily just about enjoying the opera, but it's about demonstrating I am a part of a particular cultural world that has this set of values. Well, it's just as true of theatre, which yeah, absolutely. Know, as a bourgeois pursuit par excellence. Yeah, it, exactly. Know, it is. And, and yet. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's got much more function than that, realistically. Obviously, the arts have a huge range of potential for everybody. And as a kind of cultural touchstone, they're a place where we can engage in kind of conversations about who we are, which is where those shapes around uh, what kind of person I am is demonstrated by the kind of work I go to. And it's a kind of upending of that so that it's no longer about the arts gives me a chance to say who I am. It's the arts becomes a way of pointing to I belong to that group, mm-hmm. which then, especially once we start defining a certain kind of art as excellent and the only thing we're interested in funding, cuts out the rest of everybody else, which is how we get to you know only 27% of the work ever being funded. I mean, excellence is a very charged Mm. term now. It's always been a term that's been highly contested. Mm. Like, what on earth do you mean by excellence? But since Brandis took a large part of the Australia Council budget and Mm. sequestered it to the Arts Ministry, which is what happened in 2015 for his own purposes, that's when the word became particularly charged Mm. in Australian cultural discourse because... What he was pushing was excellence, quote unquote. Mm. And what he meant by excellence was this high-end, expensive art, the opera. Yeah. Not just the opera. I don't mean to be bashing opera with a stick, but, you know, symphony orchestras mm. and ballet, all, ballet, all of these particular art forms are very conservative art forms. And are very kind of European and colonial art forms as well. They, right? are, they play yes. into the same kind of rhetoric around who we are as a nation as the statue of Captain Cook does. Yes. Yeah. Another charge. Oh, thing. God. 
um, a nightmare. Yes, <laughs> which, which returns us to this year's budget where mm. we've seen some cuts that are just simply malicious, the $84 million cut out of the ABC's yeah, budget. Yeah. And again, it's a sneaky cut. They've simply decided not to index the ABC's budget, mm. which by not indexing, which by the way has happened with all... Australia Council funding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Since yeah. the beginning, it has never beginning. been never been indexed. So yeah. we see a constant fall in real terms of what that money's worth. And taking that money and using fifty million of it for a project around Captain Cook mm-hmm. in Scott Morrison's electorate, which is kind of staggeringly petty mm. and you know, obviously some kind of act of aggression against the ABC. Mm which this government has been constantly attacking in different ways. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say the ABC has not helped by there has been, they should have from the beginning defended public broadcasting and yeah. we have seen none of that. Which is much the same as the Arts Council, actually. The Osco yes. struggles to defend itself against the onslaught of the last 30 or 40 years. They are totally hobbled by the fact that public servants are not allowed to speak mm. in public. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's an actual law and they'll get sacked if they make political comment. Yeah. And so this makes dissent from within very difficult. Mm. I mean, it's kind of encouraging to see that, say, the MEA is, is now launching a big public defence of the ABC. Mm. But we do have people there, you know, in charge of the ABC who are supposed to defend public broadcasting, mm. even Michelle Guthrie. Mm has made some squeaks Mm. because even though she's been brought in to basically reform the ABC in ways that some people find very puzzling, this obviously is a surprise to her, this cut, and there's going to be more people sacked and so Mm. on and so forth. I think it's like $300 million have been Mm. cut out of the budget of the ABC since Tony Abbott was elected. Mm, That's a huge amount. And I should say this has happened to all our public cultural and knowledge institutions, National Library, the National... Yeah, I was going to say science is part of this. Mm. All our knowledge institutions have have suffered enormous cuts. Mm. And so we're now what, five years later at a point where we're seeing all those cuts begin to bite. Yeah. And those figures that we mentioned earlier, the 73% decrease in actual projects getting up, is the result of cuts that happened actually years ago. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff happens by stealth. Mm. There are the dramatic big cuts like just happened with the ABC, but the ones that really bite are the ones that are called efficiency dividends or... Yeah the kind of thing that we've seen at the ABC, which is just yeah, cutting indexation. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, well, I was going to say that it's been a kind of pattern of both the governments as well, whether it's been Labor or Liberal who are in charge over the last sort of 30 years. It's always been about more... I'm not a huge fan of the managerialism argument of like the, the creeping managerialism in the arts necessarily, but it's certainly an incredible tool for constraining what arts is capable of doing and giving excuses for cutting back money. So even just like when the last time there was this kind of size of massive cuts was the 80s, right, 87. Mm-hmm. And you can see the beginnings of that 
when sort of mid 80s, 85, 86, the reporting process changes from you got your grant, you put in two pages worth of an accounting of what we did with it to being 30 pages worth of stuff. And so that you don't end up spending most of that time making art, you end up doing that all as all administration, etc. And that was kind of the argument that Ralph and Nick Schlieper were kind of making about the shift away from the artists being in control of the art and being given to managers. And that's a real argument actually. Yeah. It was quite interesting last year when I was in France, I was talking to a young administrator who went and looked up the SDC site. Mm. He's worked for various companies around France as an administrator. He's a trained as an administrator mm. and has no desire to be an artist. So obviously he believes that arts administration matters. Mm. <laughs> but he was shocked by the amount of administrative personnel as compared to mm. the artists mm. who were employed by the Sydney Theatre Company. He could not get over it. He said they've got way more than the Comédie Française, which is a huge company. Yeah, yeah. And part of that problem is that in Australia, because our relative funding is so small, so while the Comédie Française gets 80% national funding, mm. the SEC gets something like 7%. Yeah, yeah. So an awful lot of that personnel is about people raising money. Mm. And you can see that in all the big companies around the place, they spend huge resources on their giving programs, yeah. on their attracting philanthropy, attracting sponsorship. And so an enormous amount of the time, energy and money and personnel goes to that end there are obvious problems with that yeah 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 not the least of which is that the more people and the more offices and the more connections between people and between decision making processes that go into a company the slower it moves the harder it is to get it to change direction to respond to what's happening in the world around it which is how companies that big lose connection with their audience so that's what happened to the tote that's what is, is happening to the big companies now mm. and uh, I mentioned in that essay that I wrote the kind of numbers that NTC were talking about their total audience for the year being you know, 202,000, I think, from memory, which when you look at that and compared to the 4.5 million people who are in Melbourne alone, mm. they're serving maybe a fraction. The fraction is close to 5 6%. And then if you take away repeat subscribers, it probably goes down to closer to 4 And that's tiny, but it, it makes sense when they're located in the city and their reach is maybe out to realistically maybe out to kind of Clifton Hill and Brunswick and that sort of place to bring people in from? Maybe. I, don't, I mean, I've got no idea really. But I know, you know, like people come down from the country to go to the Melbourne Theatre Company yeah, and things like that. Yeah, but how many, right? Like so many, so many of those people out there, I reckon, aren't getting served by no. the, the theatre industry. And yes. they desperately need it, right? Like they need people to go out and make work with them, for them. And of course, the programming here is focused towards a specific kind of audience, which limits the amount of people who are going to come. And so it starts to become not really a company that represents the work of the state, right? Or, or no, the, the population of the yeah. state. So they don't come. No. I mean, to be fair to the MTC, they are aware of these problems. Oh, yeah, they're all know, aware of, of them. They have, you know, the ageing subscriber audience. Yeah, yeah. And you can see them stretching out in various ways, trying mm. to diversify their work and reach out to different audiences. Which but that's, is a, that's a huge, huge problem it is, for and that's, all the state companies. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I agree entirely. And I feel, feel like 
that's where, if there's going to be increased funding, government funding, that's where that really needs to go to get more people to come to the theatre rather than being able to just employ more artists, which is also incredibly important, obviously. They can't go out and get more audience if we don't have content creators. But there is a shift in thinking that needs to go from we're trying to find the next Simon Stone, we're trying to find the next whoever, and going, no, 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 what we're trying to find is the next 5% of audience to come in here. Well, it's kind of interesting, again, thinking about France. I think it was the mid-70s, mid-80s, they had a huge review of their theatre sector. Mm. And interestingly, because whenever we have huge reviews of our art sectors, they're always done by bankers and and people like that. They got the playwright Michel Vinever, who's a very interesting playwright, but he is also the CEO of Ronson. Uh So so he's praised very interestingly about corporate language. But anyway, he led this review into French theatre and what he came back with was it has to decentralise. So consequently, not only did they do a review, they then implemented all the suggestions Mm. made by this artist Mm -hmm. and, you know, whoever else he was working with. So they opened in all the suburbs Mm -hmm. of Paris Mm -hmm. and also in regional France a whole lot of middle-range theatres that were state-funded that were there to basically serve the local area. Mm. Mm-hmm. Again, things have changed a bit since then and French cultural funding is as much under pressure as anywhere else actually, mm-hmm. but in different ways. But as a consequence, they have all these basically multi-sized mm. theatres distributed through all the suburbs of the city, say, and regional areas, as well as a network of what they call national theatres, mm. which are places like, say, the MTC. And these companies actually function as production houses Mm -hmm. as well as co-production houses. And like us, they have different levels of funding. They have council, state, regional and federal funding. Mm. Artists have their, particularly in performing arts, have their own companies, which they then, they can do this in France because of the concentration of population, but they get acts on basically by approaching different theatres who will then invest money in their particular production if Mm. they're interested and then that can grow. So they'll arrange tours long before they start rehearsal and that's how they begin. Yeah, yeah. But there needs to be more kind of actual local work as well where, say, I mean, this is the kind of old community theatre stuff where a group of 30 people from the local area come into the theatre and work with professional artists to make work about them or about their community, etc. Yes, I totally agree. There has to be less centralised. Yeah. It, has, it has to come into the centre from the regions. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we have a very exciting regional culture where there are so many interesting festivals mm-hmm. and artists out in the regions. Yeah, yeah, companies like Punctum and stuff like yes, that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're not given enough play in the cities. But then again, was it better to get those guys to come into the city to play in here or is it better to build a community for them out on the fringe? Both. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, in fact, that underlines yeah. really the problem that we've had in funding nationally around Australia has been that the decision has been forced on us as though it is either excellence or access. Yes. And it's not. It's both. No, exactly. I mean, you know, you have an argument against arts funding that's being very simplistic, but you're saying 
as you said in your essay, mm. that arts funding is going to vanish. Well, just from the indications of the way it's going, our arguments to stop it have been largely the same arguments for 30 years and they're not working, which speaks to me that the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? And I feel like that's what we've been doing. And everything in me goes, we can stand around and wait until all the money is gone or what is more realistic is that it gets reduced to the state where it only funds one major company like the MTC the same way it does with the opera and everybody else is left scrounging to go, well, what do we do now? We can either wait till that happens or we can take control of the process now and start trying to fix it before it all falls over. Humans are not great at that. Climate change (laughs) is a good example. But take control of your destiny and start working out what the future is going to be and rather than waiting for someone in government to realise the value of the arts. You've got to demonstrate it. Yes, but how do we do that? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge believer in public funding of the arts. Mm-hmm. I think it's an unsatisfactory solution among a whole bunch of unsatisfactory solutions. The fact is that art it's like research and development. It's incalculable. You, you will never know if a particular art that you invest in and people like to say invest, Mm. is actually going to be successful. Mm. It's an actual risk. Mm. And if it isn't a risk, it's usually bad art. Actually, I would say it's always bad art, that art has to Mm. risk. What happens is that you're not going to get a return on investment in terms of money. That's true, but you don't get a return on investment in health. You don't really get a return on investment in education and all of those kind of things. It's a public good, a part of the common wealth. Well, yeah. Which is a concept we are losing or I think have pretty much lost. Yeah, yeah. Well, since the beginning of the enclosures, right? Yes, pretty much. In the late part of the 20th century, we had a little sunny period where people thought that public funding of common good was a good thing Mm. and I'm still a bit old-fashioned I believe in that and I believe it's worth fighting for I I think so too but I think that it's a matter of trying to reframe what we think of as the outcomes and what success we think of as and so I know it makes me sound like I'm anti-public funding and of course I'm not (laughs) but I feel like the systems and the goals that we have in place for our funding structures are inherited from other places and other times and they don't match now and so Uh, I just see it getting smaller and smaller and smaller until the system collapses and is replaced by something else. And eventually, if we don't do it, the market's going to make the decision for us. Yes, and we all know that doesn't work very well. No. I mean, it's interesting in America where what theatre basically is, for the most part, is musicals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the American art form par excellence, as Peter Brook pointed out many years ago. Not that there's anything wrong with musicals, but we don't want that to be the only thing available. Yeah. And I personally value the kinds of weird, small audience, experimental works that are very often some of the best things that are put on in Melbourne mm. because they're never going to make a lot of money. They're never going to be anything in terms of the kind of economic arguments that mm. we're seeing that, to support the arts, but they are very valuable in how they expand our ideas of what things might be mm. or what ideas might enter performance and so on and so forth. And I will always defend the right of art to have small audiences as well. Oh, absolutely. But lots of small audiences. Yeah. But in actual fact, that is what happens. Like when the inquiry into the arts budgets happened after the Brandis debacle, it was very interesting because, I mean, it's worth going through the, 
think, 2,000 submissions. Mm. There was a record number of submissions that were sent to the Australian Senate because they are this amazing snapshot of how the Australian arts culture works, you know, federally and locally. Mm. But one thing that Brandis said in Senate estimates around that time was that it's the big companies mm. that get the big audiences. Mm. And he was talking about, yeah, the operas, the symphonies, the ballets. And Which he is... was totally wrong. The biggest audiences come from the small companies, mm. both in international touring and in regional touring. Those audiences dwarf yeah, yeah. the major companies. And it's a totally backwards way of looking at the industry anyway to say, well, this one company, even if it were true, gets the most amount of audiences. But then look at the industry itself. It's like saying the only car company that we need to have is Ford because they're the ones who do the most, as opposed to the sector itself, which serves way more. So, yes. so again, it's that kind of focusing on that notion of excellence or that kind of pyramid structure of how culture works, which is, mm. of course, not how culture works. No, That's and, how and colonialism it, works. It's never worked that way, in yeah. fact. There's nothing wrong with government funding. It's just being applied to a system that is no longer applicable. Yes, I think it's complex. Well, so yeah. obviously you think it's complex too, but I think we need funding. I would always fight for it. And the major reason we need funding is if we don't have it, if we don't have public funding, art becomes something that's only for people who can afford it. Mm. That's what the Liberal National Party is actually always saying, if you want art, buy it which is a little bit disingenuous because most of the money goes to support the kind of art that they will pay for but yeah. is hugely subsidised. So, yes, and as I said, I believe that you should have opera, but you should have it as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. I think what breaks my heart about Australia is that we have an extraordinary culture here. We have so much vitality, mm. so many, particularly young people, mm who have been totally betrayed because, of course, the first thing that was cut when the the big shock happened in 2015 was all the programs for young people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their successful programs easily attacked by mm. right-wing shock jocks because they can just make fun of what appears to them to be ridiculous things where public money goes. Yeah. So, yes, that was the first thing that went. And so I suppose what concerns me greatly is that the current generation of young Australian artists has been, as in fact the current generation of young Australian people, have been totally betrayed. Mm. We need to nurture those people and we need public money to do that. Mm. That is part of the common good and that is our future. But you're right that we've been saying this for years and years and years. Mm. So how do we do that? How do we make people take notice well, and and, and show how it matters. But I, I keep telling this about artists is like some of the most creative and innovative people in the country, realistically. Like yes. some of these are the most brilliant, I'm going to say creative again, people who seem to butt up against the same problem and keep coming up with the same solution. And my thing is like, surely we can tell our story better than we are. The fact that I've got to do these videos to be able to go, here's the 200 years of history that's happened here because no one tells the story. Yeah. I feel like we tell our story of what Australian performance and art is really, really badly. I would say it's not Australian artists' fault that we have a media that's very, very negative towards art. The only time arts culture actually makes the front pages is when there's some huge stoush or mm. scandal. And 
I mean, I'm not denigrating the many arts journalists who work really hard to cover the arts in really impossible circumstances. But the fact is, and I remember this from my years in journalism, that our media companies are not interested but and it, and they don't consider it important. It's just a little bit of entertainment. And that has been going on for years and that conditions how people think about the arts. They think it's not for them. They think it's for wankers. Yeah, absolutely. And they are given no invitation to it. But that is not the fault of the artists. It's the fault of the mediation between the artists and the culture. Yeah, and but, and that's reinforced, yes, by a whole lot of things that are in place. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's that's absolutely true. Yeah. And again, my my argument about that is that the funneling all of the decisions about what culture is through a small network, funneling it through the media and waiting for the media to take it to the people, is a completely terrible way of doing it. Culture is a rhizome, particularly in somewhere like Melbourne, where so many different cultures are spread out across everywhere. To an extent, there needs to be more focus, I think, on artists not caring about getting to the media and getting go to the local places where people are. It sounds terrible, but go to the shopping centres and schools and all that sort of stuff where people actually are. Because do go what, to them, Robert? Do uh, what? Do the, do the <laughs> thing you do that you think people are going to like. Do the thing that you think people are going to respond to and want. Take your work to the people. <laughs> okay, maybe we'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, all right. <clears throat> I've got my Bolshevik on, that's good. You have been listening to The Witness Podcast with Alison Crogan, sound by Ben Keen, and I'm Robert Reed. Remember to go to witnessperformance.com to subscribe if you don't already. Projects like this won't survive, as you've just heard, without your support. Thanks once again, and we'll see you next week.